This is episode 386 of the 200 Churches podcast. And so initially it was, it really was just getting back to square one with sort of healthy systems in place and, and hope for the future. Just sometimes it's just reminding people like, yeah, we, we have good things to offer. A lot of these small churches, I think, can sort of get beat down over time. And so it's just reminding them like, no, the kingdom needs what we do where we are. And so we have a reason to exist. And so it was, it was years of just that work to get us to the point where now we can sort of push outside our walls and have something we're excited about sharing with people. Welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, where every Wednesday we produce a legit episode of ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches. Now, here are two guys who have been encouraging thousands of pastors all around the world, good friends, pastors, and podcast partners, Jeff and Johnny. This is the 200 Churches Podcast. My name is Jeff Katie. I'm here by myself. Johnny is busy with family this week, but we have a fantastic episode for you We have a pastor from the land of Lincoln, the great state of Illinois, a Presbyterian pastor who just so happens to be pastoring in his hometown. He has a website. It's called hometownpastor.com and a podcast called the Hometown Pastor Podcast. Alex Regetz is a fantastic young pastor. You're going to love this episode. He's got some heartwarming stories. He's got some insightful wisdom. The guy's half my age and twice as smart. It's just the future is bright with pastors like this. But I want you to check out his first few episodes of the Hometown Pastor podcast. His homiletical and theological insights are very interesting, and I like his style. In fact, He is only the second guest in the history of our podcast that I can remember thinking, I don't want to delete very much, if any, of his verbal clutter. You know, we all have verbal clutter. Um, you know, uh, like I say, you know, I say the word so a lot. If you're listening, I'll repeat phrases, you know, I'll repeat phrases just like that. And so as I edit, I'll go through and I'll excise a lot of that verbal clutter to make it more listenable for the listener, for you, the listener. And when I was uh, talking with David Fitch from Northern Seminary, he's got such a unique and quirky communication style. It's so effective that I didn't want to take out his verbal clutter. It just, it just fits with his communication style, and it's helpful. And I felt this way about Alex. I felt like it communicated his heart, and it communicated his humility, and it communicated his wisdom. So uh, here's my conversation with Alex Regetz, and then check out his hometownpastor.com website and Hometown Pastor podcast. I'm going to let this thing play out, and I don't even show up at the end because it concludes so wonderfully. Alex has got some great uh, concluding remarks for you. Enjoy this episode. You'll love it. Alex Regitz, welcome to the 200 Churches Podcast, and thank you for joining us. And uh, I want you to introduce yourself to our listeners, let them know who you are, where you are, and a little bit about your family, and then I'm going to have a lot of questions. <laughs> All right. Well, that sounds good to me. Uh, thank you for having me. Uh, again, my name is Alex Regetz. Uh, I currently pastor a small church in my hometown of Mantino, Illinois. 
Uh, so we're about an hour straight south of Chicago. Um, mm. And that is, yeah, my hometown. I never anticipated going back to my hometown. Uh, but while I was in seminary, I definitely sort of felt that call to serve in a small church uh, while everyone else was sort of telling me, well, you'll probably end up in a larger church. And I'd always just say, well, I'm hoping to end up in a small town, small congregation, something like my hometown, right? Uh, under 10,000 people and surrounded by cornfields. Hmm. Uh, but yeah, my and my wife would always say, well, uh, I think we're going to end up back in Mantino. And so sure enough, you know, all these years later, here we are. Uh, is she from Mantino? She is as well, yeah. And so it's, and, you know, how many years were you gone? So we were gone uh, just for for two and a half years for seminary and then ended up coming back to take an internship the town over from my hometown here. Eventually, that congregation merged with the congregation I'm currently serving. And so, um, yeah, that was a whole a whole big thing to get here. But in the end, she was right. We ended up. So so did, did either of you guys like grow up with your, where your folks had the same home all your growing up years? Yeah, my wife. Yeah, definitely. Um, grew up on a, a little farm just outside of town here and still there. So uh, it's, it's nice to wow. be able to bring the kids back there and whatnot. Yeah, that's cool. That's cool. Okay, so tell us about your church, and uh, maybe you've got kids? Yeah, yeah. So we have three kids, uh, fourth on the way now, which seems crazy. Oh, congratulations. But we're, uh, yeah, awesome. we're excited for it. So um, the church is a, a small Presbyterian congregation. Yeah, again, when I started, it was at a church the town over that was very small. So um, some weeks, less than 10 people in worship, kind of small. Um, and it, it sort of just so happened that right around the time I began having conversations with our board there saying, well, if, if we do nothing, sort of in the next three to five years, there's a realistic chance the church has to close. Uh, the pastor at the church in Mantino, another small Presbyterian congregation, approached me and said, hey, I'm looking to retire soon. Would you have any interest in merging? Um, and so the church I lead now is three years on the other end of that merger. Um, and again, still a small church, but um, much more stable as we sort of look to the future, which has been nice. Yeah. Which church building did you retain? Well, yeah. So that was that was one of the big <laughs> sticking points at the beginning, uh -huh. right? Because if you've ever moved, I don't know, a, a picture frame in a church sanctuary, you know how difficult that kind of thing can be. And <laughs> exactly. So, yeah. Selling a church building is a whole nother thing. Um, but we, it sort of worked out where the strengths of the other congregation and our strengths were sort of opposites. And so um, they had a, a better facility the way it was set up. Um and sort of some some musical pieces that we did not have much uh, singing talent or anything in our congregation, hmm. um, and we brought some other strengths as well, some some good mission opportunities and things that we had already set up. Um, we have a, a food pantry that operates out of a separate building than the sanctuary, and so we were able to to separate that lot after a long time and a lot of work to be able to keep our food pantry there and sell just the sanctuary in that smaller congregation I started with. It wasn't necessarily an easy process, but um, in the end, it really worked out well for us. 
So when you went back to your hometown and now that you're, you know, consolidated and you're you're planted there, do you have much interaction with friends that you grew up with and have any of them connected with you in terms of the church? I do have a handful of friends still in the area, which has been nice. For the most part, they've stayed outside of the church, which in the end is is kind of a blessing because they have their own places to be at. And I was sort of intentional when I came back to town, even like my my in-laws who now attend my church, but had attended somewhere else for, you know, 20 years. I tried yeah. to say, really, it's okay if you don't change churches. Yeah. You have this place you've been all your life. It's it's totally fine. It's sort of that give and take of, of course, it's, it's great to have them there. And at the same time, um, it's kind of nice sometimes to have friends who um, have a different perspective on things or are outside of your your work life in some ways. So, Yeah. So, Alex, what is your vision for your church now? Now that it's consolidated, you've been there for, how long has it been? Uh, well, nothing has been stable in the last few years. <laughs> like, actually, yeah. when did you come? When did you start? When did it consolidate? Yeah. So we merged churches uh, three years ago this past Easter. Oh, so perfect. Yeah, sort of some some <laughs> new life resurrection feels to it, um, and yeah, the the hope is wasn't it was definitely initially sort of consolidate things, uh, make sure that things are stable and that the, there is a path for the future even, and then it's sort of that work to get out into the community, um, and so that's that's sort of what we're we're we've been pushing lately, um, and of course. COVID threw a wrench into some of those things. Yeah, we had exactly. Our first, uh, we had a Faith on Tap event where um, people could gather in one of the, the local pubs here in town, and it would be conversations about faith the whole time. And we did our first one. It, we had maybe 20 people, which is a great turnout for us. Um, and then the next week, COVID started. So <laughs> it oh, was not, wow. not ideal timing, um, but we're starting to get some of those things back together. Um, and yeah, well, I see, think- I, Alex, can I just interject? I think it's that it's the sin of alcohol that caused <laughs> the entire virus because you're, you're probably right, Jeff. God <laughs> shut that ministry right down. And in um, fact, he had to shut the whole planet down just to shut that one little ministry down. That's right. But he got us. So it, it worked in the end. So <laughs> have you resurrected Faith on Tap at all? We have. Yeah. Yeah. And it's, and, and we've been going maybe six months again now. Okay, um, and so it's yeah, it's and, it's and how's it going? Pretty well, yeah. Maybe ten people or so every time, um, but it's it's something where we have an opportunity to be outside the church building, gathering together, talking about Jesus, and we've been able to invite people who aren't connected to our congregation or really any congregation, um, and have them show up. And so it's it's been exactly what we were hoping for as a way to reach out beyond our walls. So growing up with an alcoholic father, I just never touched alcohol just because I always felt like I'm I'm probably an alcoholic who hasn't taken his first drink, right? So yeah. I just haven't touched it. But now Johnny is a different story. Johnny can enjoy a nice beer and or two and you know, he's good. Uh, but I will joke with him sometimes if if we're recording maybe or if we're talking and I know that he's either in the process of drinking one or has had one, I'll say, Johnny, I- I'm not sure if I'm talking to you or to the alcohol. Yeah. And I'm not sure if it's you saying it or if it's the bottle saying it, Johnny, which of yeah. course 
he laughs, but I don't know what I'm talking about because I've never had a bottle. But uh, it's interesting. Every time I drive home from my church, I go past the American Legion building, and they have a public bar in there that you can go into. And every time I drive by, I kind of look through the glass door, you know, on the side of the building to see what I can see. There's a pool table in there. There's, you know, a few other things. And I have thought for a long time, why don't I just go in there and order a Diet Coke and just sit down and just talk to people? Well, number one, probably there would be people in my church that'd be like, Pastor Jeff was where? (laughs) (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, Maybe... (laughs) Maybe someday, maybe someday, I, I have to prep it ahead of time, you know, just to make sure I had some accountability on the, on the church end. But, but I think, so anyway, all that to say, Alex, I, I think it's fantastic to, because you, you have to go where people are, and that's, that's where people are. And yeah, that's a big part of it. Yeah. And, and I really think, especially for smaller churches, um, you have to find the thing that works specifically for your context Hmm. and and you know it might not be the right thing um in a different town or in a different church tradition sure um and so you know i'm not a proponent of saying well every church needs to start a faith on tap group you know um but it it fits who we are um and certainly it's you want to be sensitive to um people's backgrounds and all this stuff um but yeah, it's it's one of those things where I think the more specific you can have your ministries be to your local area, the better. And that's one of those things where small churches almost have a benefit um, in that where maybe we can't do some of the, the broader things that a larger church could, but uh, we know our area really well and we know the people we have um, and and where we can find them. Yeah, so I was asking you about your vision for the church, and you had talk, you talked about start getting back out into the community. I think that's when I rudely interrupted you. If you can regain your train of thought and you want to finish that, I'll let you. Otherwise, I have other questions. Yeah, I mean, that's, that's the, the big thing right now for us is just um, finding a way to, I think— when you start with a, a church, sort of the way that ours was, where at, at the beginning you're looking at a dying church and saying, um, we might need, I, I told my wife when I started, it might be five years before we even have a sense if if the church is sort of viable here. Hmm. Um, and I told the, the people on my board the same thing. It was just to say, I, I want to be honest on the front end here, because six months from now, um, I don't want it to be my fault that the church hasn't doubled in size, right? Yeah, um, yeah. And so initially it was it really was just uh, getting back to square one with sort of healthy systems in place and and hope for the future. Just sometimes it's just reminding people like, yeah, we we have good things to offer. Um, a lot of these small churches, I think, can sort of get beat down over time. Um, and so it's just reminding them like, no, the kingdom needs what we do where we are. And so we have a reason to exist. And so it was, it was years of just that work um, to get us to the point where now we can sort of push outside our walls and have something we're excited about sharing with people. So when you were in seminary and people would say to you, Oh, you'll be in a larger congregation. What is it about you, Alex, that draws you to a smaller congregation? 
Yeah, I think a, a big part of it for me is the idea that I can actually know the people in my congregation. And some of it's probably personality too, right? I, I do think there are probably just different personalities who fit better in, in larger congregations or what have you. Um, I'm someone who, uh, when I do get to know people, I get to know them really well. Um, but maybe I don't have a ton of friends, right? You said, you're, mm. how many friends do you have back home now that you came yeah. back? Are they all part of the church or whatever? Well, well, I only had three really good friends through high school <laughs> or whatever. And so um, there wasn't a whole lot to choose from when I came back. But yeah, um, so some of it's that. And maybe it's, it's that I, I really like to tinker with things over time. And I, I think in a small church, the work you're doing it has to be this, you have to take this long view of looking at things and saying, if we're going to change things, it's going to be a little step by little step, little changes here and there until you look back five years later and you say, wow, you know, we're in a very different spot than we were then. Hmm. But it's, it's less, I don't know, vision casting. And it's more just constantly tinkering with little ways that we can change the church for the better. So three years later, more than three years later, how do you feel about all that? Are you glad you came and how's it going? Yes. Yeah. And so it's, you know, five years since I came back, three years since the merger and it's, it's going well. There's, you know, there's finally signs of life. There's some new people coming in and our ministries are, are on stable ground. There was a lot of grants and stuff for the food pantry and remodeled that building and did a lot of things that um, I think make make everyone in the congregation feel good that we're heading in the right direction and that there is hope for the future. Um, nice. And yeah, it's, it's sort of that slow and steady thing, which um, I don't know. It's, it's worked well for us. Um, and I'm, I'm hopeful that I can guide others in that same direction. One of the things I've been doing recently is I, I put together this website called hometownpastor.com. Um, and so obviously the name's a little on the nose there. Um, yes, yes. Yeah, but so one of the things that's a, a part of that website is a, a podcast I put together. And so I know for me, like I said, when I was was going through seminary and sort of had all these voices saying, well, you should end up in a large church. This podcast, the 200 Churches podcast was like the only voice in my head um, outside of that internal call that was saying, no, it's okay to end up at a small church. Um, hmm. And so I sort of you know, ever, ever since then, I've thought, well, one day I'd like to put something out there that can be helpful to other people in the situation I was in. So that's where I saw you on some social media platform somewhere talking about yeah. <laughs> hometownpastor.com and talking about starting a podcast. And Johnny and I have always tried to reach out to anybody who's creating some kind of a resource for small church pastors to, you know, to promote them, to encourage them, to trumpet what they're doing. And at that point, I thought, yeah, I really want Alex to get you on. So tell us about hometownpastor.com. I'm a little, I have a little website envy because <laughs> your website is so clean and fresh well, and ours you. is so dated and stale. We just, I mean, we're, we're, we're podcast guys. We're not necessarily website guys. Yep. You know, we, we, t we touch it every several months. We may, you know, do something with it other than, you know, putting the current posts up and things like that. But, uh, no. So tell us about the, the website and, uh, and about your podcast and what, what your dreams are for that. Yeah. Well, I'll say all of the, the web design I had to do with the, the new church coming together helped out in the ah. end. 
and uh, all of the online stuff to get uh, church online after COVID started paid off in the end when it came time hmm. to start this website. But uh, yeah, it's hometownpastor.com. All I'm really shooting for is to try and uh, encourage other small church pastors. And so it's it's the kind of thing that I wish I had when I first started in ministry. So everything is it's short. I know you have you know, not all the time in the world. And so most of the posts are 500 words or less. Um, there's a blog that has sermon starters every Monday, or I'm not trying to give you a big commentary, but just sort of some ideas of places you might take the sermon for that week if you use the lectionary. Um, there's some resource reviews to connect people to uh, places like 200 churches and others um, that offer good content for small church pastors, because I know that stuff can be hard to find. Um, and then there's sort of just encouraging stories in the blog uh, from my own life in ministry and my own experience leading change. Um, so that's sort of one piece of it. And then the other big thing, uh, again, you know, how you how you found me and how I ended up being here is the podcast. Um, and for that, it's um, the whole season for this first one is centered around leading change in the church uh, and being mm -hmm. able to do that well in small congregations um, and so the, the first couple episodes are already out, um, maybe more by the time this goes out to everyone, uh, who knows, but um, they'll keep coming every couple weeks. Um, and it, it really follows the story of Elijah um, as, as a character that, as I led change myself, I found to be extremely relatable, uh, sort of again and again and again in all these different phases of things. Um, and so, you know, at, at first he's, he's called the troubler of Israel by King Ahab. And so that's what mm. the first episode is, uh, sort of setting some expectations on what you can expect when you're leading change, um, that you're not going to necessarily be cheered as you do these things. You'll probably mm. be seen as a troublemaker. And it's, uh, it's not necessarily malicious on the part of your church. Um, it's just sort of a natural human reaction to anxieties rising and I've, I've found anyway that what, what's really exciting for an outside view or an outside voice, like the pastor coming in, um, is, is a lot of times a thing to grieve for the people within the congregation. Um, so we talked about selling the sanctuary. And, you know, that's a big thing that helped our mission uh, financially and in other ways to move forward. But for the people I was leading, well, that was a, a really hard moment where they're yeah. letting go of, of memories of generations of people mm. in their family who worshiped in that building. Um, so yeah, that's, that's episode one, a lot more to come as we sort of follow Elijah's story. Um, and yeah, I, I hope as many of you check it out as possible. Um, I'm new at this, so you'll have to, you know, give me a, a little bit of a break on the production quality. Um, but I hope it, it lives up to some of the quality of 200 churches. No, I thought it was great, and I, I listened to the first episode and uh, really liked your style. You've got a, I suppose everybody has kind of their own unique, you know, fingerprint, you know, personality, and it, and an audio podcast is so uh, unique because you you listen only to the voice and your mind fills in all the visual, and yeah. you know your emotional intelligence uh, picks up the vibe of the person. And so listening to you when you would kind of chuckle or where your pauses were, you know, all that stuff. And maybe because I edit 
sound files like for a living it seems like yeah. <laughs> um i just i pick up on that even more but maybe everybody does and uh yeah i would recommend uh find that and it's is it literally hometown yep hometown the hometown pastor, pastor podcast? podcast um it's on spotify and apple and whatever else so yeah that's that's great that's great so um in your church it's a presbyterian church tell me how the leadership is in your church I'm not real familiar with how Presbyterian churches go, but in your particular church, what is the leadership structure like and and how do you as the pastor kind of manage that? Yeah, so we have a, a board of six elders um, that, that make the decisions on sort of the business of the church and those people rotate uh, every year to go on and to go off. Um, and then Presbyterians love their committees. And so we have uh, committees. When I first came, we had 10 committees, I think, um, for oh, everything wow. you could imagine in the church, especially in a church that size. Um, and so that was one of the things of, of, you know, restructuring the systems of our church was to narrow that down a bit and say, how many of these committees do we really need? Hmm. Um, how can we have it so that we're meeting less, but doing more? Um, and so we've done a lot of work on the structure of our church to, to make those changes, improve things in what I think has been a healthy way anyway. Um, and sort of at the end of the day for our Presbyterian way of doing things, the, the pastor doesn't get a vote in anything, um, but sort of guides the decisions that end up being made. You sound like a thorough guy. Yep. I, I think that's probably true. Uh, really? Okay. I, I tend to over-prepare instead of under-preparing, so... Oh man, can you can you share some of that overage with me? <laughs> <laughs> uh, we can find maybe a happy medium between the two of oh, us, Jeff. Oh man, you you know the the older you get and the more experience you have and everything, the less of that you know that initial spade work you have to do in preparation. You know when you've been in ministry for thirty five years, um, you, you just don't have to recreate the wheel all the time. Uh, yep. But 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 the bad side of that is sometimes um, you maybe don't prepare enough and you trust on your skills and your communication and people skills and all that. So uh, yeah, but but for you, I I mean I can just hear it as as you're talking that you're going to tackle something you think probably in in uh, you'd make a good project planner. Yes. Yeah, I think that would fit well for me. So, oh man, yeah, nobody's I'm, ever accused me of that. <laughs> <laughs> uh, it takes all kinds to make the church work. So, it's, yeah, it, it really know. does. It really does. So, share with me a story, uh, a pastoral care story, something where you've been able to walk through a life situation with somebody or some family that is kind of like near and dear to your heart. It makes, it makes you appreciate, you know, your calling as a pastor and it's something that you enjoy doing and you don't have to give, you know, names or details or anything like that, but just, let's just share a good story with us. Yeah, absolutely. Not too long ago now, um, this happened, uh, like I said, Presbyterian congregation, we're not known for being the most emotive people out there. <laughs> yep. The <laughs> frozen in our worship. Yes. It's a well-earned <laughs> nickname. So, um, but we have one older gentleman in our congregation. His name's Gordy, and uh, just just the best. And every every Sunday, he gives me a little uh, amen. 
you know, a vocal <laughs> amen. And if you get that from a Presbyterian, well, you know, you're preaching well that yeah, day. And right. so it's, yeah, yeah. Just one of my, one of my very favorite people. Um, and he's, he, uh, passed away a few months back now. Um, just sort of one of these people who's the pillar, one of the pillars of our church. Um, and, and just the opportunity to, to visit with him in his home in those last few days, you know, even, even at the end when he wasn't really able to communicate at all, but, uh, you got the sense that he knew you were there, um, and, and reading scripture and praying, uh, with him was, was really an, hmm. an incredible, uh, blessing for me and sort of a holy moment to get to be a part of. Um, and, and Gordy would love communion every Sunday. Um, and, and I, I went to visit on a Friday and we were having communion that Sunday. And when I came home, I told my wife, I said, you know, I think, I think he's going to be gone by Sunday because this would be the first communion he's missed since I've been there, maybe for the last 50 years, Hmm. you know, one of those kind of people. Um, I said, you know, I just don't think he's going to miss that meal. And so even if he has to take that bread and that wine on the other side of things, um, Hmm. I think he's going to make sure he's there. And Sunday morning, as I got up to give the announcements, I got a message from his daughter, um, a text message as I look, I pulled my phone out cause I hadn't turned it off. And, uh, sure enough, she was letting me know that Gordy had just passed. Wow. And so just, yeah, some of those moments that in, in a small church, you may not get to reach millions of people. Um, but you get to be there for, uh, things that it's, it's just such a blessing to be a part of and that, uh, no other job lets you into these specific areas of people's lives. Oh, I love the way you put that, man. That is the truth. And that captures it really well. Uh, it lets us into these specific areas of people's lives. I, I was in the room with Ken, uh, a couple months ago and Ken, Literally, they got married in, I want to say, 1956. Yeah. Hmm. Yeah, it was 1956 they got married, and they attended the church ever since then. Um, they never left. I mean, they, they literally were married in the church, raised their kids in the church, grew old in the church, and died. Uh, both of them did. She, uh, his wife, in December and... Ken just I don't I don't even know a month and a half ago maybe mm. uh, but I sat with him and he was laying in his bed and still able to talk and I knew it wasn't going to be real long I mean it could have been another year I suppose but sometimes you can just tell it's not going to be that long but as I sat and talked with him I felt I felt that way it was one of those iconic holy moments that you get as a pastor with this guy who helped build the last three buildings with the same name of the church on it. Um, and it goes back decades and decades. And this is the electrician guy who lends his services over to the church, you know, for nothing. And, yep. oh, and yeah. back in the day before it was all regulated, you know, he probably did stuff that you couldn't do today. 
Well, of course. Yes. Right, right. And, uh, you know, his kids stood up at his funeral and said, you know, he'd go and he'd help somebody and he knew they didn't have much money. And they'd say, how much do I owe you? And he would give them this ridiculously wrong price, way too low. And yeah. that's just the way he was. But this guy literally, his in, their entire married life of, I, th- I want to say it was 62 years. So, yeah, I mean, it was just, I, I just couldn't imagine people, hey, if you don't sing the right song last weekend, people are thinking about switching churches, right? If, yes. <laughs> if you said something yeah. that leaned one political way or another away from them, they're out of your church. Certainly. <laughs> yeah. These people went through so much. There was, there was so much drama in this church over those 62 years and uh, and Ken never left. So very much like very much like Gordy. And uh And I do think yeah. that's one of the advantages of of small congregations too. People sort of have to fight to get along almost, you know? It's mm-hmm. um yeah, that's it, if you're there long enough, eventually you become such a part of the church that you refuse to leave. And then everyone is forced to figure out how to cross those divides as best they can. And uh, I do think there's some value in that in small churches that I'm, I'm sure it happens still at larger churches as well, but um, maybe a little easier to be anonymous there. Whereas in a smaller church, um, eventually everyone knows everything about everybody. Yeah. And so you really do have to work through those differences. Alex, talk, just talk to pastors for a minute. Small church ministry. I don't really know what I want you to say to them, but you're, you're a young guy. What'd you say? You were 31? Yep. Yeah. You're, you're yeah, yeah, just, thir- 30 now. Yeah. Oh, you're so 30? Still young. Yep. <laughs> you're disgustingly young. My youngest uh, elder is 30 years old. I don't know why they, they put me in charge of anything at 25 years old, but... Um, I'm, I still don't feel especially equipped for it. Oh no. And you know what? That, that never really changes. It's, Uh, well, that's, that's really not what I wanted to hear. I'm sorry. Tell me that goes away as soon as you hit 32 and then you're good. (laughs) I am starting to feel like I'm, I'm okay at 59. I'm I'm starting. I have a long way to go then. (laughs) (laughs) I'm starting to feel that way because I, I mean, I, I, I do know what I'm doing in the local church context. Uh, But even this past week, this past week, somebody texted me, a family member of somebody who passed away. I've never gotten a text like this before. And they said, hey, Pastor Jeff, um, how about we just have Pastor so-and-so, the pastor from another church in town, why don't we just have Pastor so-and-so go ahead and, and do my family member's funeral, because you seem to be really busy, and I'm not sure that you have time for it. Um, You haven't gotten back to us yet, and I feel like the service won't be honoring to her. And I was Mm -hmm. like, "Mm," like, whoa. Like, I've never gotten a text like that. Like, funerals are kind of like my thing, you know, I I know what to do. I know how to minister to people. And, you know, I I get a lot of joy out of helping people get through those times. And, and I just had to call, I just called on the phone and I just had to say, Hey, you know what? I I just need to apologize to you for putting you in a position where you felt like you had to send that kind of a text to me. That, that must've been very difficult. And I commend your, your courage to do that. And I thank you for being honest with me. 
And that's how I started it, you know, and I just, I basically said, hey, let's get together and, uh, you know, we'll talk about it. And if you want uh, Pastor so-and-so to do the funeral, I'll, I'll do everything I can to help make that happen. Um, but if yeah. you still want me to do it, then, and then they said, well, I would really like for you to do it. It just, it's just that you seem to be so busy. <laughs> and so yeah. and it, it was a perfect storm of a lot of different little details that uh, all combined at the same time to allow this person to just a little bit fall between the cracks. It was understandable how it happened, but nonetheless, it happened. Uh, so at 59, I'm having to apologize and just say, you know, this is, uh, this, this is what I did and I'm, I'm so sorry. And how can I, how can we make this right? And as it turned out, uh, it was a fantastic service, uh, that they were, they were so thankful for everything and it went very well. Yeah. And I think that's so much of, of leading the small church too, is, uh, that, that willingness to say, um, you know, I'm sorry, or I, I dropped the ball or, um, even just, just to be honest about, um, how difficult things have been lately or whatever. Um, it, it's easy, I think on the front end to imagine that, well, as long as I, at least for someone, if, especially for someone with my personality to think, well, if I just put all the right things in place, if I put all the right structures and, mm. um, if I plan out enough time for rest and plan out, um, exactly how everything will go, then I can make sure I never let anybody down. <laughs> um, and so much of leading the church yeah. is just accepting what you can't do yep. and just um, being able to, to, to continue moving forward after you have let someone down um, and, and moving forward, like you said, with acknowledging it um, and, and seeing how you can help going forward, whether that, you know, means they, they sort of let you back in to, to, to offer your own help or whether it means, um, like you said, well, I'll do whatever I can to help another pastor if you'd really like to do that going forward um, or whatever else. But yeah, I just, I think right now I would imagine there are a lot of pastors out there who, who need to hear that um, it's okay if things have fallen through the cracks a little bit, um, especially these past few years. If, uh, if you've been the one trying to hold everything together, well, uh, eventually you're not going to be able to do that with all the craziness that we've had. And so um, it doesn't mean you're not fit for ministry. It doesn't mean your church can't continue or can't thrive in the future. And it, it doesn't mean you're not cut out to be a pastor. Um, this job is just hard sometimes. And, and the, the biggest thing, the best thing you can do is to just continue moving forward and try and offer yourself um, a little bit of the grace that you might offer to another. Mm, uh, mm -hmm. It's, it's really easy for me to hear you tell that story and go, um, well, Jeff, you can't beat yourself up over <laughs> that yeah, because those things happen. But then when it happens in my own life, it's uh, maybe a little more difficult to do that. And so that's, that's one of the reasons, like I said, I've, you know, I've listened to 200 churches since uh, back in my seminary days when I was, still trying to figure all this out. And you guys were the only small church, anything out there, it seemed like. And one of the things I most appreciated about it was that it was always sort of a, a place for encouragement to say, uh, you can do this. And it's not, not always going to be easy. Things are rarely going to go perfectly, but there's still work to do. And uh, if you're called to it, God will carry you through to the end. 
You know, when I upload episodes, there's a spot where you're supposed to put in keywords that if people are searching for keywords and you try to put in the keywords that would describe the episode you've just uploaded. On every single episode from the beginning until this week, I've always put, there's always been one word that's been in there. It's only one word that's been in every single one of them. And the word is encouragement. Because yes. I've wanted, if people are searching for encouragement in relation to any other word in ministry, that word is going to be there. And, and, and that's really, that's been our mission, ministry encouragement for pastors of small churches. You were talking earlier about, you know, it's, it's, it's easy to hear me uh, talk about that. And that's one of the things about being a pastor. It's almost like we have to preach to people every single week so that at some point we'll finally convince ourselves that, you <laughs> yes. know, we can drink our own Kool-Aid. You know, we're passing it out to everybody else, but we're like the last one to, to receive it. And somebody said that, that pastoral leadership is the, the process of disappointing people at a rate that they can absorb. <laughs> yes, that sounds very true to my experience. Yeah, so <laughs> yeah, and and I think forgive with the holy moments thrown in there. Yes, yeah, and forgiving yourself and allowing other people to interact with you as a human being and not just as an officiant, you know, of, yes. of whatever you're doing. Okay, Alex, you've been really fun to talk to, and I think very encouraging. To listen to, I'm. I'm just going to give you one more shot, one more, one more story, one more lesson, one more thing you you want to leave uh, all of us pastors with. Sure. Uh, so I'll I'll go. Uh, episode two of the the hometown pastor podcast okay. is is about eating what the ravens bring you. Um, so Elijah, right, uh, has to flee and go to Carith Brook, and then while he's camping out there, uh, God sends ravens to bring him food, and so the. The idea is um, you're not always going to get the meal that you want. Uh, things are not always going to be dropped in your lap exactly as you would have prepared them. Um, but God does still meet us in the mess of all of it. Uh, and if you're serving a small church today, God has you there for a reason. It's, it's really easy to love the church that only exists in your mind. <laughs> the perfect congregants who hmm. uh, never do anything to hurt you or uh, never encroach on your time or uh, never don't like your sermons. <laughs> uh, but it's really important that we learn to eat what's actually in front of us, that we learn to love the church that we have. Because uh, at least it's, it's my sense of things that if we can't love the church we already have, uh, we're never really going to be able to love uh, any imagined church of our future. And so that's that's my last word of encouragement is um, don't beat yourself up and just keep loving the people in front of you. And in the end, God will use that for more than you're imagining. So for those of you who have all these things to say about the millennial generation and Gen Y and Gen Z and all, all this other stuff, bam, there you go, right there. This kid is 30 years old. And he's a pastor, and this is the generation that is going to lead our churches for the next 40 to 50 years. We have nothing to fear. 
nothing to worry about. Hopefully they've they've learned all of our bad mistakes and they'll avoid those and they'll take the good from us and then they've got their own body of goodness uh, that only a world with an internet can produce and uh, <laughs> leave the junk, take the good and yes. Alex, you and, and your generation, you guys you guys need to reach the world for Jesus and and you need to lead churches. So uh, it, it's, and it would work so much better, honestly, if there were more churches your size with more leaders like you and fewer mega churches where per capita people aren't being cared for, they're not being discipled, they're not being reached. And it's just true. It's just true per capita. It's, it's true. In a small church like yours, with a pastor who's thorough and watching over the flock. We just need more of your kind of churches out there uh, to reach people and to share the gospel and to teach people how to live it out. And now I just realized, oh, I'm preaching. How did I get, how did I slip into that? (laughs) It's funny how that happens. (laughs) It is, it is. I just like, I'm just thrilled. 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when I went back to school to get a master's and I started working with 20 and 30 somethings, uh, you know, on the, in the classroom and, you know, I'm, and I'm not teaching them, I'm learning with them. I realized, oh, we, we've got nothing to worry about this generation, man, this, it's going to be fine. There's so much ahead, further ahead uh, from what my generation was at the same point in our lives. So thank you, Alex. Thank you for joining us today. And, uh, We look forward to uh, hearing the developments and the teaching on the Hometown Pastor Podcast. Absolutely. Thank you for having me.